Reporting from Cisco Security Intelligence Operations, this is the Cyber Risk Report. The Cyber Risk Report is a strategic intelligence product created by Cisco analysts that highlights current security issues in mid- to long-range perspectives. The report addresses seven major risk management categories, including vulnerability, physical, legal, trust, identity, human, and geopolitical. This report covers the time period of April 30th through May 6th, 2012. Vulnerability activity for the period increased to higher than normal levels. The April monthly and 2012 annual to-date metrics show a significant increase in vulnerability and threat activity for the first four months of 2012, further extending the slight increases seen in 2011. The majority of the activity this period was related to updates from multiple vendors for, for previously released vulnerabilities. New security advisories and updates were released for Citrix Provisioning Services, McAfee Virtual Technician ActiveX Control, Semantic Web Gateway and PC Anywhere, multiple vulnerabilities in HP Insight Management, multiple vulnerabilities in VMware ESX and ESXi Server, Google Android SQLite, and multiple vulnerabilities in Google Chrome. Oracle released a security advisory for an Oracle database server TNS listener vulnerability. A researcher inadvertently released details of this vulnerability, believing it had been patched in the previous Oracle April CPU. Oracle has released a workaround, but no patch is available. In threat activity, a vulnerability was identified in OpenX that's reportedly being used to compromise advertising servers and inject malicious advertisements into the advertising feeds of multiple websites. Website administrators are advised to closely monitor their website pages and coordinate with advertising partners. Steganography returned to the news with media reports on the release of documents collected in the raid on the Osama bin Laden compound. U.S. intelligence agencies reported that multiple videos included embedded files regarding al-Qaeda uh, operations. While steganography methods have been widely discussed, these were primarily limited to demonstrations and theories of potential methods that could be used to embed and hide files and images and video. This is the second recent example, including the Ann Chapman Russian spy case, where steganography was positively identified in active use. Two spam campaigns are reported to be bypassing spam filtering systems. An updated threat outbreak alert has been released for fake friendship information email messages and fake personal photo messages. Users should be aware of these spam campaigns and avoid these sort of email messages. Microsoft released the advanced notification for May 2012, which includes seven bulletins that address 23 vulnerabilities in Microsoft products. The Microsoft bulletins are scheduled for release on May 8th. Microsoft has also released the Microsoft Security Intelligence Report version 12. The report contains extensive data and analysis of current threats and vulnerability activity related to Microsoft systems. IntelliShield published 125 events last week, 40 new events, and 85 updated events. These alerts are available via the IntelliShield Alert Manager service. Visit www.cisco.com slash go slash IntelliShield for more information. Moving on to the physical risk management category. Multiple security organizations that are being led by the U.S. Secret Service have released plans for the upcoming NATO summit to be held May 20th and 21st in Chicago, Illinois. 
The plans outline the security zones for the city, waterways, airspace, major roadways, tourist areas, and O'Hare International Airport. The security organizations expect to face groups of protesters, uh, disruptions, and potentially high-severity attacks from militant groups who wish to disrupt the summit. The security zone for the NATO summit is expanding in downtown Chicago to include waterways and airspace. Civil aviation is banned for three days and 10 nautical miles and includes unmanned aerial vehicles. A comparative event was uh, the 1999 summit in Washington, D.C. At the time, NATO was engaged in a war and the meeting was held on the 50th anniversary of the organization. Washington, D.C. schools and government agencies were closed for one day, and the public was warned about SWAT police units on rooftops and long motorcade delays. But there were no aviation bans or warnings from the Coast Guard to avoid the Potomac River. The metro's transit system remained open. Security planning has increased from that of past events. The 2008 attacks in Mumbai, India, uh, were carried out from waterways, and the implications of aviation as a weapon are also clear. Old threats remain on the top of the threat list today. However, uh, police need to give protesters a smaller footprint. Expanding the security zone means, meets this need. Uh, in 2009, NATO protesters in France set fires, uh, looted stores, and destroyed cars and shops. Similar events occurred at the World Trade Organization meeting in Seattle in 1999. Chicago police officials recently ordered 8,500 face shields with instructions for delivery on May 15th. The Chicago Police Force is supporting the efforts of the other security forces, who are protecting more than 60 dignitaries. President Obama has hundreds of armed security guards. The support could reverse direction if crowds swell. The coordination demonstrates the extensive preparations and change requirements needed for protecting executives and sensitive sites during these types of events. And next, in the identity risk management category... In one of the mass BitTorrent lawsuits that dates back more than two years, a New York judge residing over a BitTorrent adult film copyright infringement case has ruled that an IP address cannot provide sufficient evidence to identify copyright infringers. While many of the copyright holders in these cases provide nothing more than an IP address as evidence of identifying copyright infringers, Judge Gary Brown provided detailed reasoning behind his ruling and concluded that it's simply unknown whether the person who was linked to an IP address had anything to do with alleged copyright infringements. This ruling means that copyright holders in these cases may have wrongfully accused several individuals. There are several reasons why an IP address shouldn't be used to identify a person. An IP address is a numerical identifier assigned to a device that's participating in a computer network and using the internet protocol for communication. A person cannot determine who's using a particular device that's participating on a network unless they're physically in the user's presence and monitoring their activity. In other words, if your friend visits an unauthorized website from your computer while you aren't present, who's to blame for any illegal actions that may have taken place? In certain situations, such as in a corporate environment, the person owning a computer a computing device is ultimately responsible for any actions. However, this type of environment usually has an allocated block of IP addresses that's tightly controlled by technical and administrative controls outlined by corporate policy. Uh, 
Networks such as the internet, where the casual user is free to surf the web, present the challenge of non-repudiation to any device or person operating a device connected to the internet with an IP address. Devices connected to the internet are more vulnerable to attacks, such as IP spoofing, uh, where an attacker can easily impersonate another device that's connected to the internet, making association associating an IP address to a particular person impossible. It's possible to use an IP address to track down the location of a device and the information in turn used to help authorities catch a criminal, but without further concrete evidence, that criminal may be able to walk away from the crime. And this week in the human risk management category... As more and more services move online or into the cloud, more of our lives appear online. What happens to those identities after we die is the subject of a blog post appearing on a U.S. government website. In addition to social media sites, consideration should be given to our other online accounts, such as financial and cloud service sites like Google Docs, Microsoft's Azure, and cloud storage sites such as Dropbox. Are important documents and information stored online that would assist your survivors? Facebook now has an application specifically written to deal with online life after death. Prior to the ubiquitous use of digital cameras, uh, boxes of photographs were often the only way to show and tell others about dead relatives. Social media can now hold and make shareable many times the amount of pictures and information that could be stored in boxes by previous generations. Do you want your social media sites to become a memorial to your life and a place for friends and relatives to visit and remember the time spent together? If so, the time to think about it and plan a social media will is while you're still alive. Security settings on our accounts prevent open information sharing to people in our extended networks for security and privacy reasons. Users of password storage services, such as 1Password, uh, that assist in secu security enhancement can assist after a user's death. The escrow of uh, passwords and account information and responsible disclosure after death are now details that should be included in wills and testaments. And finally, in the geopolitical risk management category, the United States Trade Representative has uh, released its annual report on trading partners' intellectual property rights protection and enforcement. USTR reviewed 77 countries for its special 301 report, placing 40 of them on watch lists. The priority watch list of worst offenders continues to include Canada, among other major trading partners, including Israel, Russia, India, and China. Ukraine has been returned to the priority watch list, while Spain and Malaysia have been taken off, thanks to progress these governments have made in creating and enforcing new laws focused specifically on copyright violations and internet piracy. This report causes annual consternation among otherwise valued and friendly trading partners, and one can argue that the exercise may do more harm than good. However, as with many policy tools, the art of trade negotiation sometimes requires the oversimplification of highly nuanced issues, such as policies and actions of trading partners. For private sector information security professionals, the value of the report may be in the annual assessment of industry trends and comparative weighting of the IPR protection environment in various countries. For example, the report describes an increase in shipping of counterfeit products separately from their official markings and packaging to evade law enforcement. 
The report also calls out the surge in consumer online sales that has led to an increase in small shipments over large container shipments of counterfeit goods that frequently were blocked at ports of entry by border inspectors. Such tidbits, along with the broad overall survey of the state of intellectual property protection from the U.S. government's perspective, make it worth a read. This concludes the Cyber Risk Report for this week. To read the full report, visit www.cisco.com slash go slash SIO and select the Cyber Risk Reports link. Tune in for next week's report from Cisco Security Intelligence Operations. Thanks for listening and stay safe.